Hello and welcome to Scott Rock. Where your hosts from Climb Scotland, Robert McKenzie and me, Cal McBain, catch up with climbers every two weeks who have different epic tales to tell us. We hope you enjoy the show. And remember, when you're out climbing, be safe and do your buddy checks. Hello and welcome back to Scott Rock. You are here with Robert and today is an epic one. Uh, We hope you've been managing to get out climbing, being safe, taking all your litter home and most importantly when you're out there doing your buddy checks. Uh, Now is not time to be making mistakes. Uh, This week on the podcast I had the honour of sitting down with one of Scotland's greatest mountaineers and famous polar explorers Mrs. Myrtle Simpson. Working in Fort William and climbing in in the Scottish mountains with Scottish mountaineering legends like Hamish McInnes, McTie, Ian Sykes. Uh, She has been on expeditions across the world doing first ascents of massive, massive peaks. Uh, And then she went on to be the first woman to cross over Greenland unsupported. And an attempt to be the first people to reach the North Pole. She is a true legend. So I was super excited to be invited into Myrtle's lovely home to do this interview. And you know the old saying, never meet your heroes? Well, it's not true. Myrtle is one of the loveliest people I've ever met. We had an epic chat for hours. We looked at loads of photos. She told me loads of stories. She even made me lunch and tea. Hell, that's a bottle of wine away from a date. It was also her 90th birthday the day before we did this. So from all of our listeners here on Scott Rock, happy birthday, Merle. I hope you really enjoyed it. Um, If you guys could all help me out in sending happy birthday messages to Merle, you can leave us comments, send us an email, I will forward them on. Uh, So I am super thankful to Myrtle for sitting down with me. I've split this into two parts because we totally lost track of time. Uh, so get a cup of tea, sit back and enjoy a wandering stroll down memory lane with Myrtle Simpson. You are supposed to be you. Just, just be you. But I mean... This is presumably people are listening to this thing. Yes. They're really hard faced climbers. They won't have won't bother about anyone else's. Well, hopefully. Hopefully with with this podcast we've hoped that we're gonna get all the hardcore climbers kind of engaging in it. Uh, hence why we've interviewed Mick Ty, yourself, Mike Pescod. Uh, but we really wanna get the young kids to be able to listen to this so that they can get a bit of inspiration from from, from you guys. Um so yeah, we're going for the full mix of, of <laughs> listeners here. I don't know how successful we're being, but we're aiming for the full mix. Um, but yeah, just a chilled out conversation like we've been doing already is is really all, all well, I'm looking you know, for. Well, you know, more tea? Uh, yeah, I'd love a bit more tea. You have to pour... Be really I good don't want to chuck it out because it's 200 years old. Do you want more milk or not? Uh, no, no, that should be fine. Anyway, so yeah, go, I, just, you know, yeah. Well, I don't know. I'll do well, I've, I've got a lot of questions here. Some of them touch on some of the stuff that was in the video in, in Fort William, uh, in the Bamp film. Uh, just because I, I would be, I'd be upset if I didn't ask some of those questions and hear some of those stories again firsthand because they were. <laughs> but amazing. look, I'll tell you something not to do. 
I was furious. It was... Somebody picked up the film. It, it, I think it was... Uh, must have been a newspaper or something. I'm not quite sure how it got picked up. Anyway, would I do a chit-chat yeah. with them? So I said, all right, all right. And the guy said, the first thing I want to ask you is, you know, in oh, it was Ameri- Ameri- America, it must have been from the New York thing or something. Yeah. Anyway, we're very interested in Europe, you see. What's all this about in Scotland, or Britain, I think he said, that yeah. all you're interested in here is this deadly virus and all you talk about is loo paper. <laughs> And I thought, hey, look, what an insult. <laughs> and I couldn't think of anything to say. I didn't want to say, well, we've never used... No, we didn't take it to them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean... Wow. What, you know, and I Who thought, phones honestly, you up and asks about toilet roll? P- particularly, you know, when the whole thing in it was the New York yeah. showing of the film. You know, it was terrific big time. So I was a bit chuffed to be... And then... I thought, right, you know, uh, who are these? <laughs> Brilliant. And, and also, of course, I felt such an idiot because I couldn't think of anything clever to say about it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, should we check? Have you got enough loo roll here? Are you all good? Do you need me to pop out and get some more? I don't think anybody in the country needs any more toilet roll after all this. Set for life. Well, I haven't been into a shop myself. And since Lindsay came here, Lindsay's been doing all the shopping. But we had an organisation within King Craig. It was yeah. called the Geriatrics Grub. And somebody was actually in the SMC. Um, he fixed it all up, but it's actually the Italian who runs our little calf, which right. just reopened, who actually, you know, rings rings everybody up. What do you actually need? You know, and often I'd say I don't actually need anything, but you know, I, I could never. I felt I had to go along with whatever he said. But everything he bought was actually slightly, slightly different. And I think he got all his stuff from an Italian warehouse. Okay. You know, so everything was just slightly... You know, if I said cheese and hadn't bothered to say plain cheddar, <laughs> you'd get some... Get a, you know, and, and I couldn't say, look, the chair was no good. I yeah. don't want... Uh, anyway. <laughs> but I think as from now that everything's opening up, um, we don't... I think that he can sign himself off. We don't need yeah. to get the geriatric yeah. scrub. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can I be part of that? Will he de- deliver me cheese down in Glasgow? That'd be great. <laughs> I'd love that. Um... So yeah, like you've obviously had some pretty crazy adventures and some stuff that, as mere mortals, are just envious of. Uh, I think a lot of people sitting in that audience in Fort William were just in awe watching that film because it was really good. That film was amazing. Well, you know, I'm glad you say that because I honestly think it's boring, especially that girl with her kayak and and, it, and everything else. You know, it was just a yeah a plodding. But I, bet I mean, I never did anything that nobody did. You know, everything was anybody could have done, but, uh, but people were... didn't like everybody was going to the Himalayas. Yeah, yeah. And you pay your money and you queue and everything, and nobody, but nobody was was going to Peru. Yeah, where you could just get the train to walking distance of the foothills. None of oh. this great, you know, it didn't didn't cost you anything. Yeah. Now I gather, actually, somebody said to me at one of the film things, I think it might have been them, that um, yeah. they're catching up now. Yeah, they're Money are. and you have to go through the... You know, so there still are yeah. unclimbed... Oh, you know, it's still loads masses. to do. Loads to do. So, yeah, I've got some questions on, on this kind of stuff that was in the films, Peru and, and Greenland and stuff, but um, I've got some questions about kind of your journey into that. Because uh, that's one thing that the film didn't really get to touch on was kind of your background before that well because the people that made the film and the only reason I really said I'd do it because it's not really my scene 
um, was because we were Hugh, my husband. Yeah. He he w went for. He's always been interested in photography, and when he went off to work for FIDS, that was the Falkland Island Dependency Service, which yeah. is now Basque, they call it, in the Antarctic. They went for three years, and when everyone else was taking a box brownie, he took a Leica camera. And his pictures, which are all around this house, except in this room, perhaps. There's some amazing photos um, around the house. His pictures. And we'd oh, never wow. really had a exhibition or anything like that. And we were just going to. We were just sort of putting his film, his pictures. That's why there's so many of his pictures lying around. And we were going to have it in Aberfeldy, you know, the yeah. bookshop there. They were, Anyway, it was all going to happen. And then he got ill and one thing now, so we never have. Mm. So I thought with this film, um, you know, that might do justice Good opportunity to Hugh's to pictures. Good yeah. And although they hardly ever mention it, um, that, that's, wow. that, those are his pictures, All and that pictures. really is unique. Most places, but not that day at the fort, most people say, you know, pictures are amazing. How, who, you know, how did you get the, for instance, the pictures, I think, and the, out there, um, when we get the sail up and going against the ice and stuff, yeah. and most people say, well, you know, that's... Uh, Touched my heart. I've never seen anything like that. But funny enough, at the fort, no, we didn't ever. I don't think pictures were ever mentioned. I don't yeah. think, as far as I can remember. I don't think so. I don't think so. So because I said to Mike afterwards, why didn't you talk about you flipping pictures? That was the whole point of them. <laughs> uh, so most of your expeds, uh, the sort of big ones, were fifties, sixties. Was it around the fifties and sixties? The sort of Greenland we trips, Peru, the Peru um, trips. Well, we've always, I mean, we were in Greenland last year. Yeah. We've always. So, you, right, no, but, I mean, from the, the 60s one, on, usually, you've done all these big ones. That, that, I mean, if you're talking about the film, the film yeah. really go, only goes into the crossing Greenland. I didn't right. know quite why they got involved in that. And I was surprised that they wanted so much about um, the North Pole trip, which was a failure. Yeah. They don't usually want failures. But that's what they sort of. Uh, it on. was a good story. It was a good story. <laughs> well, the pic, you know, the pictures are good. Yeah, yeah. And we were, you know, we were very lucky yeah. that nowadays, um, you know, with global warming and all the rest of it, it's quite a different story. Yeah. You can't just buy a ticket and <laughs> start walking. Yeah. So when you the Peru trips and stuff, that was back in the in, in well, the fifties. And well, Peru was before I got married. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was born in nineteen thirty. The, this was know, back when there was, you know, there's not a lot of women doing big expeditions like this. I worked in the fort. Yeah. As a radiographer, that was a new, well, anyway. And Duff, the Duff stretcher, you know all about all yeah. that story. He was the, the only, actually, the doctor to the hospital. There was only okay. one. Now there must be about fifty, I suppose, at the fort. Yeah. Anyway, he was inventing a new his Duff stretcher. And the mountain rescue was just getting formed, and he was the first person with one of the GPs in the fort, who said, "What do people really need to know in the way of medicine? You know, first aid. Yeah, you don't want the, the um, rescue party, you know, doing great horrors, making things, <laughs> you know, anything like that. Well, what do you really? Have? Anyway, they were putting all that together, and if it was a good day, he'd just close the hospital, and we'd go up the hill and try out this new." <laughs> And anyway, because of that... I can't see them doing that these days. But I was very lucky because, you know, the fort's like, a lot of people are climbing, but things like the SMC and so on didn't really... You know, it wasn't those sort of people. Yeah. But the 
local um, local climbers, a lot of them were Craig Dew, had come to work because they were just building, for instance, that great big hole that they dug. Yeah. Um, for the water for, in Glen, and they they more or less took the innards out of a hill, Monroe, and and in there they've got a big dam that was the beginning of all the electricity coming that way. <coughs> oh, I can't remember what it's called. I will, but any, anyway. So the shipyard workers who were into climbing, yeah. Craig Do, were all getting jobs in the fort. So there was a nucleus of of climbers of new to really the fort who were climbers. really absolutely, you know, gobsmacked what yeah. there was. And they were all working. Suddenly there was work to be had there. I don't think there is now, and there certainly wasn't before then. Not but on suddenly, the same scale anyway. <laughs> there were jobs. So that's what they were doing. And these all these climbers, of course, were interested with Duff and his stretcher and... Yeah. And there were people like Hamish McInnes inventing his ice axes, for yeah, instance. All, all that sort of thing was happening. Yeah. And I was very lucky that because I was with my boss, Duff, um, they just sort of accepted me. Yeah. So I don't know whether you know Jimmy Ness. Do you know Jimmy yeah. Ness? Do you know him? Yeah. Well, he was a great... He was the sort of leader of that gang. Not that he was the best climber, but oh, we knew how to get to places and... All that. His father was actually an engine driver and drove his engine, drove the train along that you know magic route from well from Glasgow all the way up, up all the way yeah. up to the, to the fort. And after any, anything, we'd always go back and sit on the floor in his house, and he'd tell us, "Oh, when the snow, you know, we'd three three weeks we were stuck and twenty <laughs> people on the train." He, he just had endless. It was just a sort of magic world. Yeah. And I was, you know, very lucky to be part of it. And there weren't any, the girlfriends didn't, they all had girlfriends, but they didn't want to do no, that. None of them went out. They didn't yeah. want to. You, like, you know, infiltrated the I, boys club almost. Well, it, it was never mentioned because I was part of Duff. I mean, it wasn't that you, you can imagine. No, part of the crew. Craig Dew would say. <laughs> <laughs> but it meant, you know, I went, we used to go to Jacksonville and yeah. it was just part of, you know, and I was lucky that. Everybody wanted was interested in Duff and Hamish. Yeah. Anyway, then Everest was climbed, and so everybody was looking for something higher. And at that time, um, the great thing was to go to emigrate to New Zealand. Right. Well, uh, they were called the, the the ten bob, the ten pound ponds, and all that climbing lot wanted to get higher. Yeah. So they realised that New Zealand was the place to go to. You know, they only. Very few of them had actually even been to the Alps, but they knew that for 10 quid, they could get to New Zealand where there were, you know, those Loads of unclaimed hills. And so that that was a great thing to do, and you could apply to the Mount Everest Fund and get cash. So not only could you get there for a tenner, but you could get cash. Someone to pay you to go out there. Exactly, you had to get a letter. And I was like, I actually knew Bill Murray. Not the actor. The... <laughs> anyway, you, you could apply for that for money. And so I got to know a guy called Bill Wallace. I don't know whether you... Anyway, Billy and I decided that you know, they, they were on... We all went to New Zealand together as a £10 pawn. You had to have a job for three years. Right. I saw my contract through, but none of them did. <laughs> but there were the freezing works, which yeah. was also a new idea. So they all got work in the freezing works in the southern, South Island. Right. I was there as a radiographer, which was my job as a... That's what I, what I was. So for a weekend, you know, we could climb a Virgin Peak and then Darren's or something like that. Yeah. Do you know, have you been to New Zealand? I've never been to New Zealand, no. Well, I really want to go. 
it's still, you know, it's not all that changed. And you'd think that the only climber in the whole of New Zealand was actually um, Hillary. Yeah. No, I mean, don't say that, but there were guy few others. Yeah. Virgin Peaks it's still the weekend, same. All, yeah. all that, you know, it was... So you went out there for three years on a work contract, and every yes. weekend you were going out and bagging brand new hills. It was, it was, it, you know, it was just magic, and we were... We, one of the reasons, of course, we could do everything was yeah. from climbing in Scotland, we knew how to cut steps. So right, we could yeah, make traverses. And there's a, we did a new route on Mount Aspiring, which is the, one of the hills to go. And people thought that was amazing. And, and it wasn't in the least, it was just that, you know, the great thing here, we didn't wear cramps. Cramps, crampons were... No. You didn't do that. <laughs> you just <laughs> never used them. But, of course, we had... We'd got um, nails on our yeah, boots. The, the... And with our long axes, the great thing was how many hits till you get a step. You know, and I've yeah. got small hands and small feet, so, so I you could, can cut tiny I could little climb steps. my steps mighty quickly. <laughs> and we did a, we just did a traverse. Yeah. Easy. Wow. Up the face of things. Oh, my goodness, these Scots climbers. You, know? <laughs> you guys anyway, must have been seen as just crazy back mo- then. Exactly. Most of the others then, people like um, Tommy... Tommy Paul and well Hamish McKinnis particularly they all they all did go off to the Himalayas yeah, yeah. but I came back home because I got a mother and I was a wage earner actually for my family um, anyway so I I didn't do that but I came yeah. back and then you know Billy and I um, you know where can we we have to get do something more than just go to the Alps so that's why we really planned. Um, to go to Peru, the Peru trips, yeah. and with Bill Murray writing the letter to the <laughs> Himalayan, whatever, um, we got our money. But we needed three people, and we tried all sorts of, you know, climbers at the time, but nobody yeah. actually wanted to come. But Hugh Simpson, who I'd already got to know, um, he was in the Antarctic for yeah. three years. You had to sign up for three years there, and he just was just finishing that. And he'd been a great climber in his day. And since in the Antarctic, he'd got known for all his stuff he did there. Anyway, so we arranged for Hugh to get off the boat in Lima, in Peru. And we took us six weeks to sail down to Lima. And we all met in Peru. So then we had our three You had your three people, people. yeah. And, you know, it was just... Um, I, I was surprised that the film didn't actually... wasn't all that keen on... I mean, some of the... They did take a bit of that Peru stuff. A little bit, yeah. But, for instance, we, we had a friend. There was a Scot working in a mine. Okay. And the mine, in, in Peru? In Peru. Right. And the mines, you know, about 15,000 feet people live. Yeah. And they're actually working, you know, higher than that. Anyway, he was a geologist working for this mine. So he said, come and stay with him. And um, we could get used to the altitude. He'd lend us some horse. He had horses yeah. and stuff. So we dosed down there and... We'd spent a month getting acclimatised. Now, I've got a son who last summer climbed... You know the um, Mustang Alta? Yes. Well, Bruce climbed it last summer oh, really? with his son. And they went out... They were there, I think, for two days and then climbed to 22,000 feet yeah. and wondered why they didn't <laughs> feel well. <laughs> you know, I said, we took a month to get acclimatised. <laughs> How could you possibly do that? In two days. But, you know, that's what people go to Everest and yeah, that's what take a do, weekend yeah. off. You yeah. know, I mean, it's... It's nuts, And the it? medics are apparently are producing pills and stuff, and it can't be right. No. 
you know, discussing this with Evelyn, who I was saying you didn't think the climbing walls were... Yeah. You know, and I said, what about these people taking, going to the Himalayas and taking pills, climbing 24,000 feet and coming down and say they've been... <laughs> I'm not feeling quite right. You know, yeah. and it's... I wonder I why. And, and call that mountaineering, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we stayed with him. Yeah. And it was actually the first time he also had a kayak. First time I'd ever been in a kayak. And we put it in backwards, and we went down our first rapids of the um, the great big the Amazon backwards. And I've got a picture of that on the outside of a book downstairs. We, we couldn't understand how people said, you know, paddle like that. Yeah. Because here we were going backwards down the rapids, and we wanted. <laughs> anyway, it was it was of course just magic, and we learned a yeah. bit about the people and so Excellent. on. And then eventually, you can get a bus. And then you pick up a, a donkey and a donkey man and shovel yeah. your luggage on it. And you walk to your hills. That's all, all you have to do. None of this flying into the... Flying right to the base. All that stuff. Yeah. Just, so how long were you in Peru for? Um, three months. Three months. And you spent a month of that just acclimatising... Well, and we, you know, we didn't speak Spanish. <laughs> we, we, yeah, we sort of... Yeah. Just exploring, really, just, and finding yeah. out what it was. Experiencing the place. To get our money... Um, you have to say what you're going to do. Yeah. And we'd seen there was a French expedition that had just come back and um, magic, magic hills. Uh, and there was a picture of this, so that's the yeah. only name we knew. We said, oh, we'll climb that. So, of course, then we, we had to find them, find <laughs> them, climb the blinking thing. <laughs> and, it, and it was... Um, Did you get it done? We got it, got it oh, done, nice. yes. Yeah. And so then, you know, we knew a bit about where the hills were and what yeah, we wanted yeah. to do and... <clears throat> and so on. But Hugh, meanwhile, was working on his... He's a pathologist. Did we talk about that? Anyway, his research... He was very lucky that the work he was doing was just at the time when NASA, yeah. the American setup, was one, was thinking about going to the moon. And it just so happened that Hugh's research that he was doing in the Antarctic was exactly what they wanted. How would man exist on a different length of day, you know. Right, yeah. You know how bodies, it spits out hormones and all the rest of it at different... Yeah, it's going to mess with your and rhythm. It, and all of that stuff. How, how would their scientists getting them there, what would happen then? And it just so happened, when Hugh just sort of said what his research was, they'd given money to do it. So actually a bit of that three months was us being guinea pigs to Hugh's research. And he right. took blood samples at different times of the, of the day and yeah. stuff. So we went to this area where the mining happens. Yeah. Um, so, you know, people would catch us fish and give them to us and all that sort of sort of stuff. So we knew what we were on about because, well, I'm sure you know this, but if you think about Peru, it's not the snow and ice is not as you find it anywhere else in the Himalayas or the Alps or anything, because you know it's that great ribbon of mountains yeah. with the the Amazon on one side, hot, hot, hot stuff with huge winds coming up and they sort of go up like that and then crash down on the other side, which is quite close to the Pacific. Yeah. So the snow melts and so you're left with these little pinnacles. And anyone that's climbing in Peru writes about, you know, you, you climb, you, you find out very quickly and put your foot behind this. So there's a staircase, fantastic. And then you get to about the hundred and fifth up, and you think, "Oh, I can nearly see the ridge." When the whole thing goes, "Dung, dung, dung," oh. and you're right down at the bottom. It's you know you have to get used to that. Yeah. That's and so stuff. suddenly, um, 
you know, knowing about cutting steps and it, it comes, and so it comes, comes handy, in, it all it? comes in handy again. Yeah. And we, got, you know, we got used to this. But the only people we ever met in all those three months who were into climbing was a French party, right? And they just two young guys on their own, and they'd been got mixed up in a terrific storms and all the labels had come off their food right but they were just about to go home and they said you can have all this stuff but we don't know what it is <laughs> <laughs> and being french the first tin we opened it was revolting looking things and of course they were sea- they were um, snails oh no <laughs> and they had legs frogs you know oh, it was all... anyway it was only through this film that i've ever contacted those guys again and right. an old man came up when we were doing the new york thing and said, um, do, you, do you remember meeting two French guys and we had a meal in the tent? And, and it all came floating back to me. <laughs> no, I mean, it was, it was just funny because we hadn't, yeah. you know, we were absolutely on a shoestring, living off, you know, fish we could catch or things like that at lower yeah. levels. And so we were delighted to get there. These tins. Tin, tins of snails. No, but some of them were magic, but we had no... I never knew what we were having for supper. It was a fantastic... And mystery dinners. Mystery dinners. Mystery dinners. That's part of the adventure, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, of course it was. Yeah. So how many um, sorry. peaks did you climb in Peru then? Oh, something like 22. I can't remember offhand, but wow. because of that film, we did very carefully yeah. get how many <laughs> and what altitude. I can give you that list. If I can't really remember Yeah, Big um, list, what though. it was. But we... The, the, peak, the peak we wanted to climb was 21 thou, so we did that. Mostly, you know, that was most of the sort of altitude. But yeah. at the end of our trip, we still had some days left. And wherever we went, we saw in the distance, it's like seeing Nevis. Yeah. And you think, How, have to climb Nevis. Anyway, it was the the highest peak. Is that the uh, Waskaran? Waskaran. Yeah. Now, it's been climbed, funnily enough, the first climb was by a woman. Right. Coming in from the northern, it, it's not all that difficult. Annie S. Peck, she was called. Yeah. Anyway, she'd climbed it in the 1890s. In the 1890s? Yeah. You know how there were... Wow. There were Victorian women that... They were just great. They got plants. Most of the... If you hear... You know, if you look up who, yeah. brought, who brought the first... Um, you know, whatever it was, rhododendron in or something yeah, like that. Yeah. It would be these Victorian botanists. Yeah, it was okay to be a botanist. You were allowed things, yeah. to do that. You know, that was, wasn't was beyond the pale. And anyway, she climbed, she climbed the first peak, American woman. Anyway, but there were, nobody had climbed from the other... We were short of time. Yeah. There had been an American expedition in that very year with something like 20 porters and all that sort of stuff. Wow. And there were just the three of us... And, Anyway, anyway, so of course we had to find something that was quick, <laughs> quick enough. So we climbed it from the from another yeah. side. But there are lots of pictures of it downstairs. We can. Oh, I'd love to look. Can you put them. that into that or? Uh, I can or definitely do. I mean, well, I can, whatever you want. We'll have a look at them later yeah, after, okay. the, after the recording. Anyway, so we did climb. We had this American party who'd done the lower bit the same as us yeah. and then we ran out of time and anyway we did did that summit so that was our highest peak which was 24 yeah so and anyway there's a picture in the kitchen and i'm struggling at the last tent and you think what the devil i'm doing i was trying to get my cramps off and couldn't <laughs> and we slept we had one sleeping bag for the three of us yeah and, and then the boys 
had to sleep with me with my crampons on. <laughs> you weren't kicking them in the middle of the night, were you? <laughs> I don't know. No, we didn't. We were all... You know, people say you can't sleep high, but we were so felt so well accustomed. I mean, yeah. I hear Bruce said that he never slept a wink climbing this mustag at a... Yeah. Well, we swept and slept all right because yeah. we... A month of acclimatisation, you're exactly. ready for it, yeah. But we didn't... I mean, the so... It, it's just so fantastic to go to Peru because if we'd gone down the way we'd come up, we could just have got the bus to the boat. And, yeah. But we had about oh, a couple of days left and none of us uh, had been into the Amazon or anything like that. So we actually came out the other side and down, down and into made the Amazon. our way. And we had the, yes, into the Amazon. Oh, wow. And we had the address of a Grinnock, um guy that imported wood yeah and somebody told me before we'd left home oh if you're ever in the amazon you know this this guy's useful because he cuts his trees or did mm. teak and i don't think they're they export teak no. anyway That's he cut right. his trees and made rafts and took it all the way down the amazon back to Greenock. so we thought that sounds an interesting guy anyway so we did just that we took that up and met the guy he told us how to get a lorry to just the banks of the mm. And we thought, but we'd been on the Amazon when we started off up. <laughs> anyway, it, you know, it was just magic. So we had a few days on his raft making our way out. But we actually did, because yeah. we got our boat tickets, we had to get back. We got, you can get lorries and stuff, you know, you can yeah, do all that. On the time pressure, and you had to do, get back. Yeah, yeah. We, and, it, you know, it's all doable in Peru. Yeah. You know, there are mines and there's it's amazing boats it's... go, you know, I mean, it's... Um, as I'm sure it used to be, but yeah. in Nepal. But nowadays, what was it like planning for trips to Peru or New Zealand or that back in back in the fifties? Like when people well, aren't when people aren't going out to Peru, knowing if they, if they go to Peru in our day, yeah. there, there were absolutely no maps. Yeah, but quite a few. Well, French, particularly all those early peaks. I mean, I'm talking now about the. I got married in nineteen. 60, I'm talking about 56, yeah. the late 50s, there were very, very few maps you could buy. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and, and where on earth do you get a map from, from there anyways? Nowadays, I'm sure you get them on, on your mobile. Oh, you can find it on the phone, yeah. Anyway, so, the, you know, you couldn't pour over maps. Yeah, big unknowns. Yeah, that was what, what I find, I mean, that's what I find exciting. Yeah. You know, that's why I said the German word wanderlust, yeah. wanderlust or whatever they say. We don't have that word. No. We've forgotten about that, <laughs> you know. The whole... But, I mean, I didn't get, get into climbing, oh, you know, people say to me, oh, the first woman or something. It never occurred to me. Yeah. It was just a happy I just went because I, like, I wanted to go there and I felt that, well, as I say, Peru was cheap. Yeah. Billy and I went on a... A Spanish boat took six weeks to get there, but it cost next to nothing because Spain was getting it. Well, Britain was doing its £10 palms. Right. Spain was also sending out um, boats to South America with, you know, people getting some land. Yeah, and yeah. Getting, and they were absolutely avid for getting out there the way the Brits were to, to get to Australia. Yeah. I think it was all because, well, particularly from the West Coast, because we sailed down the Clyde, and it was just lined with people, pipers up every 
it, it was just incredible because it was so many people had come back from the war. Yeah. Desperate for some land and some future, and they hadn't actually started building the new towns. Back to, you know, mum and dad's old tenement, no lab- indoor lavatory or sharing it between. Yeah. Kids were happy playing in the streets, but the, anyway, you know, the dads back from the war realised there was more to life than that. So people just couldn't get enough, enough uh, yeah, wanting if, to go to Australia and New Zealand. I don't think New Zealand was as popular, but all all those um, all those people from the shipyards and so on, they were just yeah. avid to, to go there. So that's who our boats were filled with. But the same thing was happening in Europe. Yeah. You know, the, Europe was in chaos. People don't know, you know, they just don't think about that now. You know, Britain was on its knees. There was no money. There was sweetie rationing well into the 50s. Yeah. And when I went out to New Zealand, first thing we did was buy a bar of chocolate and we sat down <laughs> in a row on the dockside and ate it. Each of us had a bar of chocolate. I mean, that was... The little things in life, <laughs> and that, it? that was 53 when I went to New Zealand. But, you know, we just... Amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the boys that were really did it who wanted to go on immediately onto the Himalayas, of course, they were, you know, what did the New Zealanders, what did, how did Hillary, what did he eat, and yeah. how did he get those boring old um, Alpine Club people, um, you know, <laughs> what happened? Anyway, they were desperate to be part of that, and of course, avid, very competent climbers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Hamish McInnes ever bought any food all the time he was in New Zealand he just moved from camp to camp <laughs> scrounging uh, scrounging yes <laughs> and got their eye on what they wanted yeah. and and that's of course their aim was was to climb Everest and that all the equipment and stuff had all been abandoned yeah so they reckoned they'd soon be climbing K2 and the other mouth-watering tops all, all the big, as a lot of them all the big did ones if, oh, how did it, we get that? Well, yeah. we couldn't get... We Well, what sparked me up, anyway, was this book I got hold of in, in the library in Edinburgh of this French climbing party with this magnificent peak on the outside, a typical Peruvian, narrow... Yeah. Peak. It was just absolutely magnificent. Um, and I said to Billy, you know, let's. that's what we want to do. So that that's how we got that's involved with Peru. Yeah. And then when we found that... You know, we asked lots, quite a few people who still said, oh, you know, you asked us to go to Peru and we said we couldn't, we'd just got a job or they'd just got whatever. Yeah, yeah. Got the degree or we can't drop it now. So Hugh, <laughs> that's how Hugh came with us. Yeah. Lots of people who we asked didn't. But when we got there, we soon sort of found out that, for instance, Waras was the sort of Kathmandu of the Himalaya, of, of Peru. Yeah. He had to get to Waras. And there there was a priest who, for some reason or other, was int- very interested in mountaineering and he had become the sort of diarist of that. He knew exactly who had, who had, done out, what who had climbed what and there were lists of... Right. Um, so there was a sort of organ- organisation. So you could find some, some well, stuff Well, we out. found him and found out who had climbed, what wasn't climbed. We were only interested in yeah. who hadn't climbed. <laughs> and every valley had mouth-watering oh, yeah. peaks and, you know, you could... You could, well, we knew that we hoped, well, we hoped anyway, um, to get a donkey and, yeah. and a man and been told that. So we'd gone to the barrows at the time where you could just buy any amount of ex-army equipment, 
So we didn't go to the equivalent of Taiso. We went to the Barras, where the ex-army stuff was. Right. And we'd taken extra balaclavas and stuff for our porters. In the end, we had one guy <clears throat> taking his donkey. We hired him. And he didn't come onto the snow, but he'd take our stuff so far. And at the end of three months, he still didn't know how to put the balaclava on so that the face bit was in his... <laughs> his <laughs> Maximo, he was called. Maximo. Maximo. That's I've got great. lovely slides of him. And he'd, he'd take us to his grannies or things yeah. like that, and they lived in hay houses. Um, wow. And they made their money, actually, out of breeding bulls for the bullfighting. Right. The sort of higher... Alpine area they lived there and they made the houses out of really just out of high growing grasses yeah and they lived off guinea pigs which just ran wild and lived so lived if, if they implied that you wanted a meal first catch a guinea pig and it would just go zooming through you just <laughs> catch it and they they loved the skin all their hats and some yeah. lovely textiles and so on they have and that's a lot of it is guinea pig if any of my kids are actually going to listen to this and they own a <laughs> guinea pig, they're going to be sitting here in tears now. Yes, guinea pigs make really nice meat. Yes, <laughs> like squirrels. <laughs> a little bit easier to catch than squirrels. Anyway, you know, they look completely look after themselves. And yeah. There's a million trillion kind of, of them in those there, high alpine pastures. Yeah. yeah. And the men are working in the mines, so the women catch the guinea pigs and stuff. It's not like... You know, the Alps where they're looking after cows and stuff like that. It's, yeah. It's mining, mining. And the men are nearly all sloshed all the time <laughs> because they're chewing this cocoa. Oh, right, um, yeah. So they're, which apparently makes them able to... Anyway, Billy, Billy immediately said, oh, I'll have some of that. I'll try it out. I had a... You know, I didn't like the, like the stuff, so I yeah. spat it out, but... Billy ate it and helped, said it was... Helps with the altitude, well, it's supposed it? to, and that's yeah. how they can work them. They said yeah. they can't otherwise. But if you go into a village or something, the men will all be sloshed out, lying on the pavement. And you think, what's he sleeping? You know, he must be a miner on a late shift or something. Yeah. No, he's just absolutely sloshed. He's just had too, the, too much. Chewing the cocoa. siesta. And, anyway. <laughs> so what sort of equipment did you have? Oh, from the, the bar. It was all ex-army. All ex-army stuff. It well, I mean, when, when Spike you came back, you know Spike, who we were talking about, yeah. Spike came back from the Antarctic at the same time, well, he was a bit later than Hugh. The reason he started his shop... Um, Never Sports. Never sport, yeah. sport was because he couldn't buy carabiners in Fort William. Right. So None. He thought, he thought that was out ridiculous. I'll, have, I'll start a shop. So he started that shop, yeah. Never Sport, <clears throat> and out of that, Came his great that was well there weren't shops yeah that's why we couldn't buy them there was, right but there was masses of ex, ex army equipment never all every skier in the early days of Scottish skiing all they ex all wore ex army and so you laugh like a drain when your grandchildren say oh they need a new jacket you know, anorak you know and it'll cost three hundred pounds and they only got one the last one it's very old two yeah. years ago we wore ex army stuff that was good enough for. Skiing in Glencoe in those days, every everybody did that. Yeah, and you bought your skis for ten pounds, but you could that was ex army. But if they had white paint on them, it was fifteen quid. Right, and everybody skied on ex army stuff. It was only you know after a bit of skiing there that the 
well, they were mostly Craig Du or yeah. the various climbing clubs who took on to the skiing in Glencoe. They said, why is it that the French can win our races? Why, there must be a better way of doing this and a better way of making skis. And that's what really started, you know, skiing in Scotland. Yeah. Bill Haber started a factory in Aviemore. You could buy real skis, <laughs> not just ex-army stuff that bounced as you yeah. went along. And, of course, the climbing shops and so on began to sprout out and ski gear and, well, you know, the, you know, the outcome of it. In fact, my daughter, I didn't because of this cut-down, it was her birthday, and I hadn't given her a prezi. Yeah. And I thought, oh, and she said they needed a new tent, family tent. I wrote her a cheque, which I reckon buy you the best possible tent. Marilla looked at the cheque and said, oh, Mum, that will buy a bit of it. And I said, what, you want... <laughs> price of a tent they're at least 300 pounds oh, and yeah. i said <laughs> oh yeah we we went to greenland with sort of 25 quid well actually Hugh brought it back from the antarctic yeah so we took that tent that was the tent we took on our first trip to greenland see i told you she was a legend You'll find part two is already live, so go click that link and listen to us chat polar exploration in the next part. Uh, And remember, if you're going out and climbing in between this, do your buddy checks.